What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. If you don't understand the changes that happen in the world, then you're not going to be able to make sense of what you see around you. And again, you might actually disadvantage yourself by taking actions that 20, 30 years ago would have been no big deal, but today might destroy your life. If the body doesn't correspond to one's self-understanding, then it's the body that's changed to match what one wills or what imagines one's mind, rather than the mind changing to match the body. That's a gender paradigm. And that's opposed to the Genesis or the biblical paradigm, which honors nature because it also recognizes biological reality. People should not talk about Bible prophecy being fulfilled today. These ancient people groups are not around anymore. They're long gone. It just so happens that other people live in the same territory. Just like every Christian needs a church, every Christian needs a pastor. That's how the Lord has arranged it. And this, it's between me and the Lord, is a way of kind of cutting off both of those directions, the, the, the vertical and the horizontal fellowship that the Lord wants to put us in. Topics you can really sink your teeth into. That's why Iowa dentists love issues, etc. One of the Ten Commandments is pretty simple to understand. You shall not steal And there are different ways of stealing. There's just walking up and taking something, like just grabbing it and running off. You can steal it by quietly and slowly embezzling it over years and years. You could also do it in a way that seems right, in a way that seems perhaps even, or you might even try and argue in court, legal and good. Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, called it by a show of right, but it's still stealing. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to discuss a lawsuit between Concordia University, Texas and the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Tom Halverson will be our guest. We'll spend some time in our series on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27 with Dr. Paul Robbie, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. And then it's a conversation on baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts with Pastor Mark Serberg. Tom Halverson is a regular guest. He's an attorney in Montana. He's author of a recent column titled Concordia University, Texas, Appeals to Caesar to Seize Property and Power. Tom, welcome back. Thank you, Pastor Wilkin. Give us a brief summary of why there's a lawsuit between Concordia University, Texas and the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. In November of 2022, a majority, but not all, of the Board of Regents of Concordia University, Texas, voted to amend the Articles of Incorporation and the bylaws of the university. The amendments throw off the ownership and control of this synodical school by the Senate. The changes deny that the university, its Board of Regents, or its officers owe any duty of stewardship to the synod, deny that the university 
is uh, subject to the authority or governance of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, rejects election of regents by the Synod in Convention. Our Synod bylaws provide that four of the regents are elected by the Synod in Convention. And indeed, this past summer in Milwaukee, the Synod in Convention did elect four regents, which the university then notified would not be seated rejects the appointment of regents by certain officers or bodies of the Synod. For example, the bylaws provide that four of the regents are elected by the Texas District of the Synod, that one regent is appointed by the Presidium, which is the Synod president and six vice presidents, and that the president of the Texas District is an ex officio member. The changes declare that instead, the Board of Regents is self-perpetuating, meaning that the Board itself appoints its own members. Nobody but the Board chooses Board members. The changes reject any duty to subscribe or adhere to the doctrinal confessions of the LCMS. They declare expressly that all determinations about adherence to the doctrines of the Synod shall be made by the sole and exclusive direction of the University Regents. The changes reject the qualifications to be a regent or the university president that are established in the Synod's bylaws and declare that instead all determinations about qualifications of regents and the presidents will be made by the sole and exclusive discretion of the regents. And in effect, it takes over an absolute ownership of the campus property and the changes deny that the Senate has any kind of ownership interest or reversionary rights, even if the property stops being used for an LCMS school. In response to that, at the Senate in its convention this past summer, adopted overwhelmingly a resolution that declared that those actions by a majority of the regents in Texas were a violation of the Constitution and bylaws of the Synod, a violation of a ruling on the actions by the Commission on Constitutional Matters of the Synod, a violation of the Fourth Commandment concerning the authority of the Synod as the parent organization of the university, and a violation of the Seventh, Ninth, and Tenth Commandments concerning the property rights of the Synod in the university property. The resolution called upon the president, chairman of the regents and the regents of the university to repent. It called upon synod officials, including the president of synod, to stand ready to grant absolution in case of confession and repentance. But it also called upon and directed all synod officers and leadership to take all appropriate action to remedy the situation. So coming out of the convention then, in conformity with an obedience to the Synod in convention, as expressed in that resolution, the Synod's board of directors filed the case in federal court last year to declare that the actions by the rogue board or the imposter board of regents of Concordia University, Texas, were invalid. Have the particular defendants, Don Christian, Christopher Banwolf, and Concordia University, Texas, responded to the complaint filed by the Board of Directors of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate and Federal Court? They have, and they've responded in two ways. The first is a motion to dismiss the federal case. That's one thing. 
And then a second response in a, in a different location is a new state court case that Concordia University, Texas has filed against the Missouri Synod. So let's just look at the first one, the motion to dismiss the federal case. And to understand that, we need to recall something that your listeners, many of them, wouldn't ordinarily know about federal courts and cases being in federal court versus a state court. We talked about this in one of our prior interviews. The states have authority to create courts that we call courts of general jurisdiction. General just means that practically anything you might file there is okay because that court has jurisdiction of practically any kind of case. That's what the word general means. So there's an assumption that a state court has jurisdiction until something or somebody raises a question and calls it into doubt. The federal courts are just the opposite way around. They're not like that at all. They are called courts of limited jurisdiction. There is no assumption that a federal district court has jurisdiction of whatever case somebody files in it. Instead, there is a limited list, and the list was created by an act of Congress, a limited list of the subject matters on which the federal courts have jurisdiction and can hear a case. And as a result, one of the first tasks of anybody filing a case in federal court is to plead and prove that it fits one of these limited things on this list of only a few matters that the federal courts can hear. So the board of directors of the Senate did that, and in their complaint, they said, there is something on that list that we fit, and that is absolute diversity of citizenship between the plaintiff and the defendants. So the LCMS is a Missouri corporation. It's a citizen of Missouri. But Don Christian, Banwolf, and the Concordia University, Texas Corporation are all citizens of Texas, and ne'er the twain shall meet. So that's an absolute diversity of citizenship. Congress allowed the federal courts to hear cases that otherwise would be state matters if there was an absolute diversity of citizenship like this, because they had the idea that a state court might be biased in favor of its own citizens against plaintiffs who are all from some other state. So that's what the board of directors based their choice of the federal court on. What the motion does is says, but no, there is no diversity of citizenship or not an absolute diversity. And how do they come to that conclusion? Their motion depends on two different senses of the word synod that we use in the Missouri Synod. In one sense, the Synod is an unincorporated association that has two kinds of members, congregations and the rostered clergy members. Its ultimate authority is the Synod in Convention. In another different sense, the Synod is a Missouri corporation, and consequently we sometimes refer to corporate Synod. That corporation is governed by its board of directors and among other things, that board is the custodian of all the property of the Synod, such as the property of Concordia University, Texas. The first of those two senses of the Synod as an unincorporated association is an ecclesiastical meaning of the word, but the second is a civil or temporal meaning. And a lawsuit before the courts of the civil state, which is either Texas or the federal courts, is a temporal or civil proceeding. So it was to be expected 
that the board of directors would base jurisdiction on the civil or temporal sense of the word synod. And so nothing too surprising there. But the motion contends that the synod in its ecclesiastical sense is the real party in interest, even if it hasn't been named yet, it needs to be joined as a party because it's an indispensable party to the case. And once that happens, then the diversity of citizenship would dissolve because since the Synod is an unincorporated association of members throughout the United States, including Texas, we have congregations in Texas, we have ordained rostered clergy in Texas, therefore the unincorporated association itself has citizenship in Texas, and therefore since Texas is not diverse from Texas, there is no diversity of citizenship anymore. And that's why this case, they claim, should not be heard in federal court. Now, that doesn't say anything about whether the claims themselves are good or bad or whether they're valid or should be rewarded by the court or not. It just says that the court to hear this isn't a federal court. So what is the university seeking then? Well, the university is seeking that it wants a declaratory judgment of several parts. One is that the Board of Regents in its action in November of 2022 had the authority to amend the Articles of Incorporation of the University without review or approval by the Synod, that the amendments that it made were valid under Texas law, that there's proper for them to be able to make those, that they had the authority to amend the bylaws without review or approval by the Synod, and that the amendments that they made are valid. They want a declaration from the court that the Synod does not have authority to elect any regents to the Board of Regents or appoint any regents to the Board of Regents, to declare that neither corporate synod nor ecclesiastical synod has any property interest or any reversionary interest in the campus property of the university, and that neither corporate synod nor ecclesiastical synod is entitled to any damages from the actions that Christian Banwolf and the university regents took in throwing off the ownership and control of the university by the synod something that they leave out of their complaint, but that would be a result if all the declarations they ask for are made, is that only the regents have control about whether the university will continue in the doctrine of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. How do the claims square up with the Constitution and bylaws of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod? They just don't. They are in a very clashing conflict, and not in a technical way, but in fundamental ways. Under the Constitution and bylaws of the Senate, the ultimate and final authority, legislatively speaking, is the Senate in convention. Between conventions, which only happen every three years, there are various authorities, such as the Commission on Constitutional Matters, that can rule on questions on a provisional basis until a subsequent synodical convention has a chance to look at them. And in this case, regarding these actions of the Board of Regents, the Board of Directors asked the Commission on Constitutional Matters 10 questions about the actions of the leadership at the university that they took to throw off the ownership and control. 
The commission answered those 10 questions in opinion number 23-2006 this past year. And it was an extensive opinion that went through the issues thoroughly. And it was not a pile of technicalities. It was fundamental, simple, and basic. It was not like cobwebs or off in the corner somewhere. It was right down the strike zone of what anybody with common sense should have been able to expect. In each and every respect, the commission concluded that the actions of the leadership of Concordia University, Texas, were in clear, basic, and serious violation of the Constitution and bylaws of the Senate. Now, that opinion was published, and it was especially brought to the attention of the delegates to the 2023 convention of the Senate in Milwaukee. It was given to them in documents provided to all delegates in advance of the convention. And that's because the delegates were going to have business about this, including resolutions to consider and vote on. And so this was part of the information for delegates to know what they were doing in actions that they were going to have to take at the convention. There was an overture put to the convention that raised the issue for the delegates to decide, and with them being the final legislative authority in the Senate, whether they were going to approve of the commission's opinion that said that up and down one side and the other in all 10 questions, the leadership of the university was in violation of the Constitution and bylaws. That overture was adopted overwhelmingly and became Resolution 7-03. Your listeners can easily find this resolution if they go to lcms.org and search for a document called Today's Business First Edition 68th Regular Convention. When they find that document and download the PDF, then if they turn to pages 139 to 141, they'll see the resolution titled To Call Concordia University, Texas Leadership to Repentance. The resolution approves the commission opinion and in a series of specific paragraphs calls out the Concordia University, Texas leadership for violation of the synodical constitution and bylaws. But not only that, and what is more spiritually significant is that the resolution passed overwhelmingly also states that the actions of the leadership violated the 4th, 7th, ninth, and 10th commandments. It calls the synodical leadership, including the president and the board of directors, to take all necessary actions to correct this situation and to stand ready to grant absolution to any of the leadership of Texas that might confess and repent. Tom Halverson is our guest. We're getting an update on a lawsuit between Concordia University, Texas, and the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. When we come back, how likely, in his opinion, is it that the leadership of Concordia University, Texas, will repent? What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. 
Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about a lawsuit between Concordia University, Texas, and the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Tom Halverson, an attorney in Montana, is our guest. So, Tom, before the break, you talked about that resolution passed overwhelmingly by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's convention and its final call to repentance and holding out the promise of absolution. In your opinion, how likely is that repentance? Well, I guess this draws me a little bit into a subjective assessment, which I've been trying not to do more than what you just kind of can't avoid. But we have additional information that does reflect on that. To begin with, once the convention this past summer elected the four regents, then it was like in a day or two that the Concordia regents informed those four newly elected regents that they would not be seated. There was no time taken. They just instantly rejected even seating them. Once the lawsuit was filed, then that set up a clock under the federal rules of civil procedure when the university and the other defendants reply to the board of directors lawsuit was due. That was delayed by mutual agreement of the parties for a while so that they could engage in mediation. They engaged in mediation. I haven't seen anything where the board of directors speaks about what happened in the mediation, but President Christian issued a statement stating that he and his side had tried to mediate, but it didn't work out, and so now they were going to answer the lawsuit. It didn't seem to me like between the consideration of what the convention said if I had read a resolution like that directed to me, it would have stopped me in my tracks and made me stop and think. And I wouldn't have, just within a day or two, rejected what the resolution said and tell the newly elected regents, we're not going to seat you. So it's like they don't have ears for the convention. They don't have ears for the delegates or for the resolution. 
And then this business about mediation, to me, looked like going through motions. I didn't look like it really had a lot of chance of resolving the case. I applaud the board of directors for giving it a chance. I think that was a Christian, a fine way for them to act. I didn't think it stood a lot of chance, but whatever chance it had, the board gave. It didn't work. I don't think that there's a whole lot of opportunity here. The state court case confirms by asking for quiet title to the property of the campus that indeed they want to just take over the property of the synod, take over the school, take over its doctrine, use so much of Lutheran Church Missouri Synod doctrine as they like and, the, and chuck the rest. It doesn't look like there's much of a prospect for any settlement to me. The Reverend Michael Newman, who serves as the district president for the Texas district that you've mentioned here before, the district wherein the university is located, also sits as a regent on that board of regents. Do we know what his disposition is in this matter? We don't know what he has said in the board, and he, I think his position is as an ex-officio member. In other words, he he meets, he can he can be there, he can know everything that's happening, he can speak, but I don't think he can vote. However, he did make public statements that were published in a newsletter to people of the Texas district from him in 2023. And his portrayal of the actions of the majority of the regents was favorable. He was justifying their outlook. They were they, He was joining in the criticism of the way the Synod allegedly had acted in matters that ran up to these actions by the regents of the university. It looks from that statement like he's, if not completely, almost completely in accord with the actions. But, but that question, I think, should be put directly to him if somebody can get a hold of him and ask him. So how can the leaders of Concordia University, Texas, claim that the Senate has no right to elect regents of the university, no right to review and approve changes in the Articles of Incorporation for the university, and no right to review and approve changes in the bylaws of that corporation, in addition to no right to approve who's the president of that university? How can they claim that? Well, Pastor Wilkin, in a single word, rebellion. There is no legitimate basis for any of those claims you just went through. And the sole characterization that I can come to as to why this is happening is rebellion. And here's what I base that on. In Lutheran theology, the fourth commandment is the fount of all types of temporal or civil authority. We see the authority of father and mother as the archetype of all temporal authority. And that applies to a situation like the synod and its synodical schools. The synod is the parent organization of the university. And this has even been recognized, not necessarily as a fourth commandment idea, but as a, a matter of corporation law in cases in Texas involving the, our cousins in the Christian faith, the Methodists, with some of their universities and problems that they've had with litigation in Texas. They talk about the parental organization. So if there's an organization that is parental and then you, you just throw off their parental authority, the word for that is rebellion. It's just like if a child would throw off the authority of their mother and father. So that's plain and simple rebellion. 
And this all originates from a heterodox defection from Lutheran Orthodox theology at the university. The university, in several respects, that have been reported in various official reports of visitation teams and other authoritative bodies of the Synod that were also published to the delegates of the convention last year and made part of the, like today's business or the workbook of the convention because of the business that the delegates had to consider at the convention. So here these reports were given for the delegates to be informed. And these visitation reports and other reports show that there is a very broad defection from Orthodox Lutheran theology at Concordia University, Texas, on a number of different topic areas. Years ago, the current provost of the university wrote a doctoral dissertation about how to change the relationship between Lutheran universities and a parent organization like the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. That dissertation included several calamitous errors of Lutheran doctrine. The author didn't comprehend hardly anything about Lutheranism that she was talking about. And it was a blueprint for what in fact has happened in the action of the majority of the regents. The entire dissertation is a failure to understand the first chief part of Christian doctrine in Luther's small catechism, which is the Ten Commandments, and particularly the Fourth, Seventh, Ninth, and Tenth Commandments, in that the whole program of her dissertation and of everything that the majority has done is to elevate the child over the parent and the university over the church. The university just throws the church off, even though it is a church school. Tom Halverson is our guest. We're getting an update on a lawsuit between Concordia University, Texas, and the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. On the other side, how can the leaders at Concordia University, Texas, claim that Senate has no property interests or no reversionary interests in the property? If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Theology has consequences. It doesn't live just in ivory towers, but actually in the very choices and daily lives of God's people as they live out what they believe and confess in the world. To learn more about how theology affects our daily lives, this February issue of The Lutheran Witness discusses how the theology of Simonex affected the very lives of God's people in the LCMS and how God worked to preserve his church. Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program, 
for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well lived. Truth, Freedom, Vocation, Concordia University, Chicago, cuchicago.edu. Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas provides a classical Lutheran education for scholars in preschool through 12th grade. They also offer interactive online classes for high school students worldwide. Learn more at flsplano.org, Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. We're talking about a lawsuit between Concordia University, Texas, and the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Tom Halverson is our guest. He's an attorney in Montana and author of a recent column titled Concordia University, Texas Appeals to Caesar to seize property and power. Tom, how can the leaders of Concordia University, Texas, claim that Synod has no property interests, including no reversionary interests in that campus property? This is going to be a topic, I think, of some fairly deep research and digging through files in various entities and bodies and authorities within the Synod or at the university, because somehow... A reversionary clause that existed on the old campus of Concordia University, Texas, before they acquired and moved to their new campus, that gave a reversion to the Synod for a variety of reasons, including if ever the school would stop being used as a school of the Synod. That clause that was there before is gone now in the deed to the new campus. So there was this reversionary interest expressed in a clause in the deed to the prior campus. Now, when the university was working on acquiring a new campus, it needed to sell the old campus to use the proceeds of that sale toward the purchase of the new campus. To do that, it needed to have the synod waive its reversionary interest for the sale. 
Otherwise, it would not be able to convey a clear title to the buyer, which in turn would mean you couldn't get a buyer and then you couldn't sell the campus and then you couldn't buy the new campus. So the university asked the Synod to give a waiver, which they did twice. It's on the records of the Travis County land records. They did it in 2006 and they did it again in 2007. So at the same time that they were doing this, giving up the reversion on the old campus so they could sell it and use it as part of the purchase of the new campus, that's right when that same clause or one, basically the same, ought to have been inserted into the deed of the new campus, but no such clause was in fact inserted into that deed. Another significant part of that same transaction was the request by the university that the Synod guarantee the payment of university indebtedness for the acquisition of the new campus, which the Synod did as recited in a special warranty deed that's filed on the land records of Travis County, Texas. Now, the reversionary clause is not hard to understand. It's not really technical, and I can read it for your listeners. I don't think they'll have any trouble hearing what this means and, and what it says. It says that the university would have title, quote, for so long as the property is used only for permitted uses defined below. And when the property ceases to be used for one or more permitted uses, then the title to the property shall automatically and without any notice or requirement for reentry by the grantor, the grantor is the synod, revert to and fully revest in grantor, and that's the synod, its successors or assigns, and all right title and interest of the grantee, that's the university, and its successors and assigns in and to the property shall forthwith cease and determine, which is a, a word we use for terminate. Determine just means terminate here in this context. As used here, the term permitted uses shall refer to and mean the maintenance and operation of an educational or religious institution of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, end quote. Now that's just what the leadership in Texas is not doing. They have declared they are not part of the Synod. They have declared that we do not elect regents for them. They claim that they can amend their own articles and bylaws without our review or approval. They claim that they can choose their president without any participation by the Synod. They claim that they will decide whether they will follow any of the doctrines of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in what they teach on the campus, and so on and so on and so on. They claim they own the property. So they use the word that they're still aligned, which is weasel words for trying to make it seem like they don't have to live with the effect of the reversionary clause. But an alignment is not the maintenance and operation of an educational or religious institution of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. That clause should have been in the deed and it would be self-operating and the title of the renegade and rogue board should be completely dissolved automatically by the fact that they have stopped using the campus as a school of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Now the obligation to put the reversionary clause into the deed to the new campus exists for a variety of reasons. One is by virtue of what the Synod gave up for the university when it waived its reversionary clause on the old campus 
to let them use the proceeds to buy the new one. What the synod gave them when it guaranteed indebtedness to purchase the new campus. It exists by virtue of the Constitution and bylaws of the synod, which say that these reversionary interests have to exist. It is in violation of a resolution in the 2004 convention of the synod that said all the entities of the synod, not just the universities, including the universities, but also everybody else, like take CPH or anybody else in the synod, have to have the reversionary clause. And by virtue of the parent-child relationship between the synod and the university, the claim by the university that because there is no clause in the new deed, therefore the synod has no right is something that Dr. Martin Luther talked about in the large catechism. Under the seventh commandment, morally speaking, theft is not just if somebody out in the street robs, you know, at gunpoint or knife point money out of somebody's wallet or purse. It also happens by a pretense or a pretended show or a semblance of right, a fine showing through crafty legal papers and courtroom arguments. And Luther talks about something he calls swivel chair robbers who are successful in prevailing oftentimes before the temporal courts. He said in the Seventh Commandment of the Large Catechism that, quote, they dress and adorn everything so that the law must favor their side. They keep the property with such title that no one can complain or lay claim to it and the property is awarded and confirmed with deed and seal and declared to have been acquired by a princely title and honestly. He goes on to call that swivel chair robbery, not by picklocks and burgers who snatch away easy money, but they sit on the chair at home and are styled great noblemen and honorable and pious citizens. They rob and steal in a way that is assumed to be good or under a good pretext. This claim that there's no right of the synod because that clause, for whatever reason, wasn't entered, is that. It's swivel chair robbery because they only got that campus because of the synod. They only got it because the synod waived that reversion on the old campus. They only got it because the synod guaranteed the indebtedness to buy the new campus and many, many, many other things that the synod did so that they could have that campus. That's why they owe this reversionary clause. Tom, will the the means by which the circumstances are under which that reversionary clause was omitted from their reincorporation, will that come to light in the course of discovery in this lawsuit should it proceed? There's a possibility that it might if it ends up that the reason it bears relevance to specific claims in either the federal case, if the federal case is still going, or in the state case, or if the federal court does grant the motion to dismiss, that doesn't end that. That just means the board of directors takes the same claims and files them in the state court instead. So if in those cases where both parties have now made claims, if the reason that ends up being discovered after it is researched is relevant to the question of, well, now should we still have this reversionary right then the answer will be yes, Pastor Wilkin. It will be known and it'll become public and it'll become part of the lawsuit. But it's on that contingency. I, of course, don't have access to some of these files. It's very curious. I understand why I asked the question. I bet you're very far from alone in answering this question. I would like to know. 
how something like that happened. In my own legal practice for the last 45 years, having handled a lot of real estate transactions, errors in deeds get made not very often, but every so often. And there's a handful of reasons usually why it happens. I'm not going to make that list because I'm not trying to instigate people being too uh, speculative about the possible reasons for it. But there's one thing I do know that I do think is worthy for us to let your listeners realize. I mentioned before that the waiver of the reversion on the old campus so that they could buy the new campus was done twice, and it was 2006 and 2007. That all by itself is enough to tell you that this error did not occur during the current administration of the Synod. The Reverend Dr. Matthew Harrison was not elected as president of the Synod until the convention in the summer of 2010. The 2004 convention had a resolution calling for inserting the reversionary clauses that I mentioned a little while ago. That shows that the the Synod was conscious of the matter in 2004. And then when they did the transaction to sell the old campus and buy the new one, Twice in 2006 and 7, they made waivers of the reversionary clause on the old campus. So that shows from 2004, 6, and 7 that this was a conscious issue within the Synod. However, all of this was before the current administration, before the presidency of Dr. Harrison. With about a minute, what happens if the Synodical Board of Directors win this case in federal court? then that just means that they continue with the claims. It it doesn't determine that the claims are good or that there are any declarations of invalidity by Concordia, Texas, or any award of damages. It means that the claim can proceed to be litigated in federal court to find out if the ruling would then be in federal court that the actions of the majority in Texas were invalid and that the Texas defendants owe damages to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Tom Halverson is an attorney in Montana, author of a recent column titled Concordia University, Texas Appeals to Caesar to Seize Property and Power. You can read it at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Tom, thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Pastor Wilkin. When we come back, part two of our series on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27, Dr. Paul Robbie will be our guest and we'll get into God's word to Philistia. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. 
Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Confessional Lutherans, we've got your back. You're listening to Issues Etc. In a city known for the latest in songwriting and the performance of music, we offer the sweet sound of the timeless gospel and the historic liturgy in worship. Redeemer Lutheran Church in Nashville, Tennessee, is a place where God's people receive the gifts of Christ and sing praises with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. If you are vacationing in Music City or are moving to the area, please join us for divine service at 1030. Find out more at RedeemerNashville.org. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. 